episode 2,251 of the number one podcast and Apple podcast for job search. No BS job search advice radio. I'm Jeff Alton, the Big Game Hunter, and welcome. I started to be called the Big Game Hunter when I did recruiting because I would hunt down leaders and staff organizations. I did it for what felt like a hundred years. In point of fact, it was more than 40 years and... I've since transitioned into career and leadership coaching, working with people and organizations to help them become more effective at job search, hiring, management, leadership, as well as resolving workplace issues. And for those of you who are new arrivals to the U.S., I'll let you define what a new arrival is. This is a second show in a row for you. And that is, it's a show about adapting to the culture in the U.S., because it's probably very different than where you came from. Hope you find this helpful. Please give the show an honest review and share it with anyone who you know is a new arrival to the U.S. who might benefit, and also, just because of the times we live in, legal arrival to the U.S. This is not material for those who uh, crossed a border illegally. Now, with that, We'll be back in just one moment. Support for today's show comes from JobScan. JobScan is a site that's going to take a look at your resume and you're going to copy and paste the job description into another field. It's going to make a comparison and give you a sense of how your resume matches up and makes recommendations for how to fix it. Again, use the link in the show notes. You'll get better results on each resume submission you make. And with that, We'll be back in one moment. So, my guest today is Raj Subramayer. He's the author of Skyrocket Your Career, which is a terrific book. And I'm not going to say the, the subtitle because it includes the full spelling of the word, of the title of my podcast. I'll do the abbreviated version. The no BS approach to find your dream job, be successful in it, and transform into a rock star. He's a tech career strategist focused on helping people land their dream job and become successful leaders. He's a sought-after speaker at various conferences, and in 2021, he's giving multiple TEDx talks this year. He's been featured in different podcasts and publications, including Entrepreneur Authority Magazine, career addict, and many more. His website is rajsubra.com, and what he does is help tech folks land their dream jobs and become successful leaders. Raj, how are you today? How's it going? I am doing good. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm glad to hear that. I would hate to to think of the idea that we had, uh, shall we say, kidnapped you and put you on the show and that you didn't want to be here. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, that would be interesting, right? And then you have to act as if you're excited and uh, do the whole show. But yeah, that would be an interesting story. That'd be an interesting story is right. So Raj, I kind of get the idea that um, that's accent of yours is not from Brooklyn, New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And as such, you're someone who came to the United States at some point in life um, and um, had to go into the... um, shall we say, cultural and communication, all sorts of differences between your country of origin and the U.S. 
and uh, learn to navigate the different environment. Am I, am I interpreting this correctly? Yeah. Uh, so let's just start with setting some context. So first thing is, yes, I don't have a Brooklyn, New York uh, accent. I do have a thick Texas accent. So um, that's what I have. I'm just kidding. So they, so the weird accent which comes from my mouth is a mixture of my uh, Southern Indian uh, accent and my American accent. It's combined into some accent which is coming out right now, but I just live with it because people are able no to choice. understand me. So I actually do not care as long as they're able to understand me. So that's the, that's the important part, right? So, so I grew up in the Southern part of India and, um, I was there I, uh, till my undergrad. And then I decided, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna work for some time in India and figure out what I wanna do in life. And as you may already know, Asian folks usually have three choices when they grow up, doctor, lawyer, or engineer. So I actually chose the engineer part <laughs> and uh, engineer path and I've been an engineer ever since. But the point is, so I worked for some time in India. And then I started seeing how software was developed and how they release software to the customers. And I found that fascinating that all the, like all the process involved in it, not just, you know, writing code or software code to build software. So I decided, you know what, I want to pursue my master's in software engineering. And that's what took me to the United States. And I still remember this, uh, <laughs> moment vividly because I came in on August 31st, 2008. And on September 7th, 2008, Lehman Brothers, and for all the young folks who are listening or watching this podcast, um, they were one of the biggest financial firms in the world based in the United States, and they became bankrupt overnight. And that triggered the whole recession. That was like the highlight. And that happened a week after I came to the United States. So yeah, that's what brought me to the United States. And then, uh, yeah, the rest of the story, which we're gonna share, yeah, follows what happened after this recession and what are the different things which I uh, had to come across as well. It was your fault, of course. It, exactly, it was my fault, right? And, and it's funny you mentioned cultural differences because I do have a funny story to start off with, to share with your audience here. So sometimes things which you feel are pretty common sense are not common knowledge. So what do I mean by that? So the first day on August 31st, 2008, I landed at the JFK airport, okay? And then I get out of the gate and then a person passes me and he says, how's it going? Then I said, yeah, I'm doing good. This is my first day in the United States, but I, I start describing my experience, but he didn't listen. He just, you know, just walks past me. I thought, huh, that is interesting. And then I keep walking, <laughs> you know, inside the airport to get to the exit, the airport exit. Another person passes me and said, hey, how's it going? And then again, I started saying, yeah, it's going good. It's my first day. I've come here to do my master's. But yeah, they didn't listen to me. They just, you know, keep walking past me. And I thought, wow, why have people, you know, really weird here? And then I come out of the airport and uh, there's this pretty woman, I would say like 30, 35. She asked me, how's it going? 
then I said, you know what? I'm going to let her know how it's going because I'm tired of people ignoring me. So I started walking along with her and then started describing my experience on the flight. And then I've come here for my master's in software engineering. I was talking to her for 30, 40 seconds while walking with her. And then she, she said, hey, hey, what are you doing? Then I said, you asked me how's it going. So I'm actually replying to you. And then she turned to me and said, you weirdo. And then she left. That's when I understood that no one actually gives a shit about you when you say how's it going. But it's like the cultural difference, right? It's not, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's just a cultural difference. And me coming from India as an immigrant, I had to learn all these cultural differences and in, in an interesting or the hard way, I should say. And uh, that was my pretty much my first experience in, in the United States. <laughs> and it kind of wakes you up to the fact that this isn't Mumbai anymore. Exactly. This isn't Mumbai, Chennai, or any place, right? Because outside the United States, this is a true story. If you ask someone, how's it going? They would actually stop, reply to you. Even if it's like 30 seconds or one minute, they would acknowledge it and say, oh, that's good. You know, it went well, and then they leave. But in the United States, it's a culture thing. Hey, what's up? Hey, how's it going? It's just like a culture thing. Unless they're your friends or your significant other, it's, you know, no one else really wants to know how's it going. It's just like a slang. It's like a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. And um, it's the same thing with uh, idioms and phrases as well. In fact, quick, another uh, funny or interesting story, which I think you'll get a kick out of it and your audience will get a kick out of it. So I started working uh, in one of the largest insurance companies in the United States here. And... I still remember this because I was in this meeting and there were 20 people in the meeting and the project manager had given me a really critical task, which I had to finish. And it was pretty complex. So at the end of the meeting, she said, may the force be with you. Then I said, cool, cool. That sounds good. Right. And you know, then what's the next thing I did? I actually went and Googled what the what may the force be with you actually means. Then I found out it was a Star Wars reference. This is the thing. I grew up in the southern part of India. We didn't grow up watching Star Wars and we don't know all these pop cultural references and, and idioms and phrases as well. So I know it sounds funny, but this is what people like me, immigrants, have to go through in a foreign land. Not only the United States, it'll be the same no matter what foreign country you are in, you have to listen, learn, adapt to the culture, and you should be ready to, you know, make a fool of yourself because some, it is going to happen. You just have to keep an open mind and just keep learning. And that's where I think there's a difference between some people where there's one section of people who go through these experiences like me, and, you know, we learn from it and we think it's funny, but there are another set of people who are not that open-minded and then they think the world is against them and ha have a really bad experience in a foreign land, right? So as uh, since I live in the United States, I'm talking about United States folks. So if anyone is listening from there, even you see an immigrant, keep in mind that they have to go through a lot of stuff and things like this. So if something seems weird, ask that summarizing question saying, hey, you did this, by doing this, did you mean this? Make sure you ask that summer, uh, you know, clarifying question because that will help to improve your gaps in communication as well. 
And I know in some cultures, it's not appropriate for the listener, particularly, uh, I'll use the example from systems. You have a manager who directs someone to do something, and of course they say, I understand, even if they don't. Because yeah. You can't say anything that indicates, um, you know, lack of understanding. Uh, you can't ask a follow-up question. It's considered rude. True? Yeah, yeah, that's a culture in Asia, actually. The work culture, I know it's sl slowly changing right now as uh, people are getting, you know, more uh, open to the idea that people should have, should be given equal opportunity to answer questions and, you know, challenge ideas. But when I grew up, we had a hierarchical structure of command, like the military. So you have a manager, then you have this, you know, a senior guy or a girl, and then a junior person, and then we have to respect the line of authority. So if you question our higher ups, then they feel offended. How come you're not trusting me? I am the boss here. So we grew up in that culture. So with that kind of background, when you come to the United States, for example, here, people have a lot of freedom of speech. So you can actually, you know, challenge ideas and uh, challenge the status quo, but that's not a common thing in, in lots of uh, places in Asia. So that's another thing we have to go through as well, because uh, we actually welcome the opportunity to ask questions, but sometimes people are so used to being contained within an environment. So even if they come to the United States, they're not willing to open up because they have the fear of being judged. And it takes a lot of time to get out of it. And that's why you, whenever you work with uh, people with, from different cultures, make sure, you know, give them an opportunity saying, hey, Raj, what do you, what do you think about this? What, what are your thoughts on it, right? Just give them an opportunity to come out and express their opinions because not a lot of people may be outspoken like me and, you know, where, you know, volunteer to give their opinions as well. So that is something to think about. And you've also been in the U.S. for a long time. You came at a younger age. And thus for you, you got acculturated more easily. Uh, for those who come over who are already in their 30s or dare I say even 40s, they've already been acculturated in the Asian culture, which involves obedience uh, and uh, uh, subservience. And it's hard to deal in the American culture. And folks, I'll simply say, you know, having spoken to any number of managers and organizations for years, you're afraid of being judged if you speak up. Trust me, you're being judged if you don't speak up. Right. I think there are two types of people, uh, when it at least comes to immigrants, for example. There are people who really want to adapt, adapt to the new, new environment. Mm -hmm. Like there's a saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. I was that type of person. I really wanted to soak into the culture, learn the right way of doing things because I am in a foreign land and I wanted to follow their policies, their procedures, and, you know, adapt to a certain extent in that environment. But there are also another section of people who do not want to come out of their shell. They do not want to change. Again, I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong, but you need to be aware that there's some people who are still tightly rooted to their culture and they're still in that mindset which they had when they were in their native country 
And for those folks, it takes a lot more time to adapt to this kind of environment. So that's why there are like two types of people. You need to identify, okay, what kind of person I'm actually talking to. And that you'll know as and when, you know, you start talking to people, you'll know whether they are still sticking to their to their native country mentality or they're open to actually, you know, change. So that you'll know while conversing with them. So let me look at it from the job hunter perspective. For the job hunter, um, they're trying to navigate a system that's US centric. And that for me translates into behaviorally, they like to see certain attributes, uh, more assertive, freer communication, no accent, because Americans are biased about accents. Mm -hmm. um, how do you suggest people acculturate or um, get comfortable in a new environment so they, I hate to use this expression, fit in, but I don't have a better one right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Adapt, that's probably the better term to use. But to adapt to the new environment because lack of adaptation is always going to keep them on the outside and playing small professionally. How did you adapt? How do other people adapt that, that you've worked with? I think the first thing is you need to start trusting yourself. You start believing in yourself and you should embrace your difference. That's the first thing where success or uh, bigger opportunities or chance to get bigger opportunities starts. You need to embrace your differences. For me, it's my accent. Uh, it's my culture. It could be, it's my color, right? A lot of people fight against their own identity. I think that's the number one mistake immigrants make because they think, man, I have this accent. So that means I'm bad or I'm not as good enough compared to other people. No, you just grew up in a different place. And a lot of the biggest leaders have accents. Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google is an Indian dude from my place. He has a freaking accent. Does people worry about his accent? No, <laughs> he's the freaking CEO of Google. So that's the mentality you need to have. Start embracing your differences, number one. Number two is educate other people when given up an opportunity about your differences. So for example, when I was leading teams, I used to have different ways where I could help, where I could make that uh, 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 knowledge transfer happen between cultures. One of the things I used to do was uh, host potlucks for my team. Once I was leading a team of 20 people and uh, once in two months, I used to have potlucks where people bring their native food you're not allowed if you just buy food, you have to, you know, make your own food. Mm -hmm. And what that does is when you have food from different cultures and you share them with each other, it automatically opens up this conversation saying, wow, this tastes really good. What spice is this? Oh yeah, this, this is the garam masala spice. Wow. So do a lot of people in India have that? Yes. See now how food opened up that, channel of communication for people to know what other cultures do and the same thing goes with greek or you know uh, east asian culture as well so first thing is embrace your differences second thing is educate people about your differences because some people are afraid to ask about your culture because they don't want to offend you and some people 
may do things without knowing your culture, which is actually offending you. So you have to volunteer to say, hey, you know, you doing this is not such a great idea because it's very, uh, 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 it's a very negative connotation, especially for people coming from our cultures, right? And then the final thing I would say is it's okay if you mess up because you're not going to know everything at once when you're in a foreign land. In fact, yeah, I came way back in 2008 and I'm still learning a lot of stuff. So it's okay that if you mess up and then just ask or first acknowledge, yeah, I messed up because, you know, I didn't know this. So you teach me what's the right way to do it and just keep learning. And I think it's a constant progress, right? And uh, people who are native, say, for example, United States, they also have to think, they also have to put themselves in the other immigrants' shoes and think about how they're feeling. For example, say you, Jeff, you go to India, right? And a, <laughs> you are going to be in the same situation where everything is so different. The food is so different. The culture is so different. And you, you may not understand why people are doing certain things. And it's the exact same thing we as immigrants have to go through when we come to the United States. So look at people with empathy, uh, put yourself in their shoes, also think about what they're going through. So I would say those are the four kind of things which will really help people um, to adapt to change. And from a job and interview standpoint, just be confident in your story, you own your story. And don't worry about your accent, but be prepared, have a strategy in terms of, okay, what stories are you going to share? What, how are you going to structure it? And, and it's irrespective of whether you are an immigrant or a native person, it doesn't matter. It all comes down to strategy and structure from an interview standpoint. And I always think in terms of, in the workplace, for example, one of the most powerful things is having the confidence to be able to present yourself as you really are uh, right. and educating people along the way. Because the self-confidence demonstrated in saying, you know, I, I just want to explain what I meant by that. Or when you said that, I associated with such and such. And educating demonstrates the self-confidence that allows your power to really come out. And since when firms hire, they look not just for competence, they look for self-confidence, character, chemistry, maybe a little bit of charisma. They want to trust someone. It's easier to trust someone who has the courage to speak up rather than the timidness to be quiet. Right. And it boils under the basics, right? It comes under the basic, even from an interview standpoint. Ask a clarifying question. Just because they ask a the question, it doesn't mean that you immediately answer. You'd say, so just to summarize, so you were asking me about a complex situation which I saw, right? So ask that question. And then once you answer, say, did that answer your question or do you want me to, you know, add some more details? Be, think of it as a conversation like you and me are having, right? It's not that since a person, person is, has a job and you don't have a job, it doesn't put them on a higher plane. On the, you're humans first, and then whatever career options you are in, whatever state you are in second. So think of it as equals and then have the conversation. I think a lot of people have this mentality that if the interviewer is your boss, he's God, and he has 
control over you. No, it's about having a conversation because they really want to know how you can bring value to the company. And your responsibility as a candidate is to show that value. What do you bring to the table? If you articulate that during the conversation and that's what it's all about. So once you see how, when you shift your mindset, okay, this is just a conversation, not that he owns me or she owns me, then the entire scenario, entire atmosphere changes. And of course, there are a lot of strategies which you could do to, you know, ace interviews, which of course I have some, I have a lot in my book as well. But the point is um, you, you, you could use them to have the, to have the upper hand, especially the first five minutes in the interview is really, really important because you have to show your credibility, show some value immediately because people start making assumptions about you after the first five minutes and then their decisions could be biased. So that's why I, there are a lot of things you could do. But on the whole, what I wanted to mention here was think of people as equal and have a conversation and articulate your story and you can prepare for that beforehand. You don't have to say that story for the first time during the interview. Even before coming to the interview, you can actually practice stuff like, tell me about yourself. You know you're going to get that question. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Tell me about a complex situation you solved. What were the results? Tell me about something you did which failed, but what do you learn from it? So you know you're going to get questions like this. Like this. So prepare beforehand and appear more confident. Practice really will help you a lot, folks. Amateurs go to interviews and they win it. Pros know what's going to be asked. You've seen a job description. You can anticipate what they might ask to, to validate that you know what you claim to know vis-a-vis -vis what they're looking for. Take the time to practice. It makes a huge difference. So And also research. You have to research the company because if I want to hire you, I want to know whether you're proactive and have, haven't and you've taken the effort to learn about our company. You are going to get you know, questions like, so where do you want to work for our company? What, what makes you interested in our company, right? That is one thing. Or you could open up the conversation like an icebreaker conversation saying, oh, by the way, congrats. I know you were on the news because you've just released this product. See, now that's an icebreaker conversation. It shows that you did the research and then immediately the anxiety level in the room reduces a little bit because now we have something to talk about. So uh, practice as you, as we were discussing and then research, those are like two key things you really want to do. Why would, why would I want to work for you? Why wouldn't I want to work for you? You know, the, and you list two or three different things, by the way. Right. Exactly. Idea. So for this person who's come to the United States, um, they're dealing with visa issues now as well, visa transfers, as well as the cultural shift. How do, they, how do you recommend people navigate the visa conversation? Obviously, it's going to surface at some point. Mm -hmm. what's, what's the current thinking about bringing up visa and what's needed from an employer for a transfer? So the first thing is when uh, people look at your resume and I'm taking India, for example, because I'm Indian. When they look at a resume that say, now it's 2021, but say you, you came to the United States 2018 for a master's, they already assume that, okay, you probably need sponsorship. So 
it's not a secret <laughs> before you talk. They already kind of can figure out whether you need sponsorship just from the resume. That is number one. Number two is you, you, companies are ready to sponsor your H-1B, that's the work permit here in the United States, if you show value. If you show them how you bring value to the company, they are ready to sponsor your H-1B. Especially right now, uh, this year, you know, it's a lot more, uh, people are a lot more open to sponsoring when they get the right candidate. So the way you could convince them to make them sponsor your H-1B is again, from a value standpoint, show them how uh, you can contribute to the growth of the company, have build your personal brand, when I say personal brand, have a social media footprint on LinkedIn where you keep posting, you have, you know, you engage with other people and then you take extra courses, which is not just related to your master's, for example, or undergrad, and then uh, show that you've attended conferences. So all those things will actually help to convince the employer to uh, sponsor a H-1B. And in terms of how you have the conversation, Whenever you have the first call with the recruiter, let them talk about the position. You let them know how you bring value. And towards the end, let, let them know that, hey, by the way, you know, I'm currently, say, for example, I'm an F1 student visa and I would need a H1B uh, sponsorship uh, if I work for your company. Just be open about, and frank about it. A lot of people wonderfully do not reveal that and then towards the final interview, if they do really well and then say it, and then they say, no, we don't sponsor H1B, it's too late. You know, we wasted so much time, both of you. So I would say you don't immediately say, once you once you have a call with the recruiter, recruiter, don't immediately start with, hey, by the way, I need H1B sponsorship, then people will keep the phone down without even hearing what value you bring to the table. Instead, tell them how you bring value what, are your, what is your experience and how you can contribute to the growth of the company. And then they start digesting that information and know that, oh, this person's really good. And then towards the end say, hey, by the way, I need H1B sponsorship and be open and honest about it. But say it towards the end so that it gets you a chance to at least show your value to the person. And I think that's how you can make people sponsor your uh, work permit. And also when you apply for jobs, it clearly, some companies would clearly say we don't sponsor or only green cards or American citizens. So that is a good uh, reference point that, okay, you probably do not want to apply for those kind of positions because they're really particular about not sponsoring, yeah. right? If they don't mention that, then go ahead and do it and uh, they will uh, sponsor you. And also, if you go to Glassdoor, you can look at reviews and feedback about whether they actually sponsor. So you can find all those information uh, about the company even before you get on a call. And also you can tap into your own network. So say for example, I know a person in Google in uh, my own network, you can ask the person in Google saying, hey, by the way, do, do they sponsor H1B? And that's, uh, then that's a good reference point as well. Okay, they do. And by the way, Google does. But, uh, but I'm just saying that those are some ways where you can figure out whether they sponsor H1B. And the uh, second thing is to make them sponsor your H1B as well. What sort of expressions uh, do you 
um, I'm going to use India again. Uh, people from India use that don't translate well into U.S. culture. <laughs> they, they need to be uh, modified. So could you create the idiomatic dictionary <laughs> for our viewers and, and listeners? Oh, man. So many. I can the talk classic about one it. is do the needful. I know. So I can talk. Yeah, exactly. Do the needful is one thing, but I can talk about this for hours. But quickly, here are some examples of words, right? Especially say, for example, you're coming from India to the United States. Different words mean different things. Again, coming back to our, to our intercultural communication aspect, which mm -hmm. we have been, you know, diving into. For example, people in India would say, yeah, Microsoft and Google just had a tie-up. When they say tie-up, they mean joint venture. So tie-up means joint venture. So there's the difference. And then you would say, people in India would say, yeah, I passed out in 2008. In the United <sighs> States, it means that you got shit-faced, so got drunk, and then you actually passed out. No, passed out means graduated. So we, I graduated in 2008. So that's what they mean when they say passed out. And like this, there's so many different cultural differences where uh, in terms of words we use, that's why, so for example, to intimate someone is to, is to, to, is to uh, 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 describe something, right? So we'll say, yeah, we intimated to him that uh, he'll get the status report, or you would say you contacted him that you have given the mm -hmm. status report, right? So there are so many different words, which means different things. And that's why, especially in email communication, if something sounds really weird, especially if you have distributed teams and working with people from different cultures, make sure you ask that clarifying question. Hey, Raj, you said, uh, you said this uh, plan is gone for a task. Uh, what did you mean by that? And then I'll come back and say, yeah, I said that means that the plan does not work anymore. So we say gone for a task. <laughs> that means that the plan does not work anymore. It's a cricket reference. So those are some real life examples how different words mean different things. And you need to ask a clarifying question if something sounds weird because you have to understand that, again, different words mean different things in different cultures. And even idioms and phrases, for example, with people in the United States, use idioms and phrases in the email, keep in mind that not a lot of people are gonna get it. For example, this product is the cash cow of the company. A lot of people in India would think, okay, there's a cow, right? Now, <laughs> that's the product which gives them the money. So make sure you know, you're cognizant about these things. And trust me, this leads to a lot of miscommunications um, between- Cognizant like a consulting firm? <laughs> yeah, ex yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's an example. I try not to name people and then they'll come back and say, what, you talk bad about our company. No, I'm just giving an example, right? Because uh, uh, again, because of different hierarchical structure and different cultural differences, there's so many gaps in communication. And as a leader, it's your responsibility to make sure, again, ask that clarifying question. Don't don't assume things. And then another good strategy, which I used to follow, 
this funny because I can really talk about this because I was an on-site coordinator when I was working in India and I was working and, and working for a US firm from India, right? I was managing the India team while working in India for a US company. And here <laughs> I was working for a US company and I was managing an Indian team. So I've been both sides of the coin. So I know this thing which I'm talking about and these things are really true. Um, and and yeah, those are some things you really want to uh, keep in mind for sure. So for the Indian person coming to the U.S., and we're now dealing with the cross-cultural stuff that shows up and they hear an expression they're not familiar with. How do you help someone develop the strength to ask the follow-up question that allows them to get the clarification? What was your experience doing that? Or were you just always a two-ton gorilla to use one of those American idioms? <laughs> I wish, no, but I grew up as a shy introverted kid. Um, until my childhood, I was, you know, I never used to talk to people. But then I had a trigger event during my second year of my undergrad. And that's when I decided to change my life. So yeah, I didn't uh, grow up, grow up this way. Uh, but uh, the, but the point is, um, can you repeat the question again? Because sure. I, was in the, I was thinking about gorilla and now I lost the train of my train of This is a perfect illustration. <laughs> um, how do you support someone? How do you coach someone into having the strength to ask the question? Right. That's a great question. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. I do have an answer based on my experience. First, let's get into some interesting statistics. So based on research, about 93% of your daily communication is nonverbal communication. Yes. And then we do head bob in India as well, but the point is, you know, 93% of your daily communication is nonverbal, which is mind blowing. That being the case, the way you react to people when they're talking means a lot and you need to pay attention to it. So coming back to your question about how do you encourage people to ask a follow-up question or how do you, you know, identify those folks, you know, who may not get it. Look at their face, facial expression. A lot of people will just be nodding like this or they'll, you know, they may just be sitting still or you could see their eyes crunch a little bit you know, or they will be looking like this. So all those things gives you a hint that, okay, there's something going on. So when you know, and as a facilitator, as a leader, it's your job to actually pay attention to these facial gestures and body language. And if you're on Zoom, yeah, have gallery view so that you can see everyone's uh, view uh, on the, at the same time, everyone's body language at the same time and see how they're reacting. And if you see someone who has, you know, a funny facial expression or nodding their head, make sure you, you know, follow up with them saying, hey, Raj, by the way, uh, just wanted to make sure you didn't have any questions. What, what, was what I said clear to you? you? You don't have to say, hey, Raj, seems like you're not clear about this. Can you let me know what questions you have. That is one way of doing it. Or you can be slightly subtle and say, hey, by the way, Raj, I just wanted to you know, make sure 
you you, uh, you uh, got what we were saying. Did you have any questions related to that? So in that way, you open up the conversation, even if someone is an introvert and, you know, really uh, scared about being judged in a group of, in midst of group of people, you give them an opportunity saying, hey, Raj, uh, does this sound okay to you? Because, of, you know, you'll be doing the task and uh, do you have any questions? Because I'm here all day, man. You could always ask me questions. So show them some concern, show them some love, affection when you have many people and that way they, you encourage people opening up. Another thing you could do, which I used to do as well, is note down the names of people who you think may not have got it based on the facial expression. And then after the meeting, follow up one-on-one -on -one with them saying, hey, hey, Raj, uh, you could slag them and say, hey, Raj, by the way, in our previous meeting, I just wanted to make sure you got what we were saying because this is what we were trying to say and you summarize it in words. And then through Slack, they could, you know, ask that clarifying questions, right? So one is facial expression and stuff during the meeting. And if that does not work, uh, follow up with one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. And that starts encouraging people to, you know, uh, open up to you. And folks, I'll simply say so much professionally involves making connections. And thus, the more you understand, the more you take the risk in order to ensure that you understand, goes a long way toward professional success, let alone on a job search. And I got to tell you, we could go on for another hour. This is such a great topic. And really I know. Great. How can people find out? By the way, is there anything that we haven't covered yet that we really should? I think we uh, delved on so many different uh, topics, which I think are really important. Um, and yeah, if there's just one thing, of course, as you said, we can talk about so many different things for a couple of hours. One thing I would firmly advise, no matter whether you're an immigrant or not an immigrant, is to build your personal brand, because that's the most important thing right now in the post-pandemic era, to make yourself stand out from the crowd, because this is the thing. If thousands of people are applying for the same job, what is gonna make you stand out from other people? That's where, again, I think we were talking about this a little bit, but your social media footprint, uh, the extra courses you take, the conferences you go to, your blogging, your speaking, or any other thing extra which you do, which other people do not do, will add to your personal brand. And it's really, really important. And that's what is gonna help you get that dream job or advance in your career uh, in the post-COVID era. So just something to think about. Yeah, I'll concur with that. When you think about it, folks, your job is to cut the line and get to the front mm -hmm. and be seen as the expert because people know, like, trust, and respect you without ever having spoken to you before. In days of old, it was writing the book. Matter of fact, it's currently writing the book <laughs> that is used toward developing that business card where people know you and they believe that you're an expert. You don't have to write a book. You can appear on people's podcasts. You can write on LinkedIn. You, know, you become Googleable. There's a lot of things that you can be do that you can do to be seen as an expert. Do those things, not just when you're job hunting, but throughout your career, because that builds up your library of, of reference points where you can be discovered. 
This has been great. Raj, how can people find out more about you and the work that you do? So uh, all my life's work is on my website. It's at rajsubra.com, R-A-J-S-U-B-R-A.com. Um, that's where they can find all my writing, how I help people and all details about me and they can connect with me as well. And uh, another website is skyrocketyourcareerbook.com. There, you can download the first chapter of my book for free so that you can decide whether, you know, it's going to be worth your time to buy the book and read it. So that is something you can do. And also, I have a lot of free resources for people on their job search journey or who want to grow. I have some free downloadable stuff from that website as well. So those are the two ways you can definitely connect with me, get a hold of my book. Uh, and also, of course, I'm, I live on LinkedIn, so anyone can ping me and then make sure you follow me because every day I post content related to different topics we just talked about as well. So that's today's show. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, here are a few things I can do to help you with your job search beyond simply being your coach. First of all, I've got a new book out called The Right Answers to Tough Interview Questions. It is like a cookbook with answers to tons of interview questions that you're going to be asked on interviews. And if you pair it up with my other new book, The Ultimate Job Interview Framework, they are a, a terrific pair of books to help you with interviewing. In addition, a new service where you can practice mock interviews. If you go to thebiggamehunter.us forward slash mock, I've got a service there, very inexpensive, like $99, where we have mock interviews set up. I'm going to be adding more to it very soon, but you can record your answers to them and then I can critique them and help you perform better on them. You probably have noticed my show notes are pretty thorough with products and services that can help you with your search and connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash the big game hunter. Lastly, my website has a ton of great information. That's TheBigGameHunter.us. Now, if you're not ready to go there and go through the blog, put the address in your phone, TheBigGameHunter.us, Jeff Altman. So this way, when you're ready to go, you have a way of getting back to my website. Hope you have a terrific day. And most importantly, be great! Be great!